You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. All right, let me warn you this morning, I have to be honest, as we work our way through the text this morning, I change things this morning. And so we'll give Jake some patience here if we work our way through. My pages are not in order, but I believe this is the way that we should handle the text this morning. We'll be in 1 Kings 17, and we'll be in verses 1 through 18 to begin with. And Lord willing, we'll finish the chapter today. Before we get there, let me just remind you of a couple things. Um, Number one, when we look at Scripture, and we look at the great stories, especially the narrative of the Old Testament, we need to remember that the main character, no matter where we're at, Or the hero in the story, no matter where we're at, is not Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Elijah, or the widow woman. The main character and the main hero in all of it is our God. Always. It is not you. It is not me. It's all about him. And in this chapter... uh, In the Old Testament, I believe as we read it through, almost everything we need to know about the true and living God is found in this chapter. Let me help you a little bit before we read. In this chapter, we understand that the true God of heaven hates sin. You'll see it as Elijah is dealing with Ahab. We find that he judges sinners justly. He's just. We'll see that he keeps his promises, good and bad. He's faithful to his word. He has mercy on the needy, that he loves the widow and the fatherless, and that this God adopts into his family foreigners and those outside the covenant community. We'll see his actions in creation, withholding and giving rain. We'll see it in providence through the Uh, the widow, and the ravens. And we'll see it in redemption, that he takes this slave and pawn of Baal, and he makes her his very own. And later on, I want you to see the affirmation of this God, what distinguishes him from every other God, or so-called God in the world. And that will be his power over life and death. And so let's look together now at 1 Kings 17, keeping these things in mind as we read together. Verse number 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward to hide thyself in the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. It came to pass that it shall... that Thou shalt drink of the brook that I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. 
Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. She said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise, and behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me therefore a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, Neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. And it came to pass after these things, that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? Now, there, there are a ton of things happening in this text And the truth is, the main point is where we're going to end up afterwards. It's going to be about God and his word. But I just want to take this sidebar as we get into the story to look at how God deals with his people in regard to our growth. Here in the story, we have this widow woman. And we are amazed at her generosity. Here is a woman who has nothing, and yet she gives out of her need. Not of her plenty. But of her need, actually she has nothing. A handful of meal, a little bit of oil, one more cake. And yet, we're amazed by her generosity. We are amazed at her faith. She literally rests her life on the thus saith the Lord. And she trusts Yahweh. And in the story, Yahweh has been providing He has delivered her from starvation. He has taken the burden of single parenthood away. And we would say her life right now is working. It's working. Um, It's it's interesting as we think of this story, and if we could picture in our own heart and mind this woman who every day getting up goes and finds another handful of meal and more oil in the cruise, I can almost hear her now humming or singing, Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. And you can sense that things are well. There is steady provision. There is steady praise. And yet now, in a moment, it goes from provision and praise to privation and pain. 
Life is working for her. And in a moment, her son, her only son, her hope of the future is gone. And, and when the Bible says the life was out of him, this is not like Princess Bride where like, I think he's nearly dead or mostly dead. Right? He is dead. There is no life in him. I think A.W. Pink captures the thought well when he says, in him all her affections were centered, and with his death all of her hopes were destroyed. You can feel that. Certainly you can feel her grief this morning. You can hear it in her voice. Look at verse number 18. And she said to Elijah, What have I to do with thee, thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? She is devastated. And what she does is she reproaches first Elijah. What do I have to do with thee? Now think about this. Here is Elijah, and he's got a sweet little congregation going on there. Two people. It's easy, man. Two people, two problems. 200 people, 200 problems. This is how this works. This is a sweet little congregation. And now in the midst of that glorious little church, one of the members dies, and the other one accuses him of pastoral malpractice. Right? And then she recalls her past. She says, have you come to call my sins back into remembrance? And I think, really, this is human nature. For the believer this morning, I think when things are well, we glory like Newton when he said, well might the accuser roar of things that I have done. I know them all and thousands more. Jehovah knoweth none. Isn't that a great truth? And we glory in that, saying, God, the accuser comes, and he accuses me of my past and my sin. And I know it's true. I know thousands more that he's not said. But with you, Lord, they're forgiven. I'm cleansed. I'm free. And yet, when trouble comes, when we find ourselves in darkness, when we're in despair, we forget what we knew in the lights. And this woman has forgotten. We must not forget that there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But the wheels have fallen off for her. It went from bad, right? She was destitute. She was about to die to good. She was delivered. She had food. She had what she needed. And then it went to worse. Bad, good, worse. Now death has entered the scene. Why is it that God blesses her and then baffles her? You'd almost want to say, God, what are you doing? This woman is a new convert. At the most now, she's been following Yahweh for maybe two years, maybe. And you can almost hear Satan whispering in her ear, her son is now gone, and him saying, see, this is how Yahweh treats his own. At least when you worship Baal, your son was alive. 
Yahweh delivered you, and then Yahweh crushed you. And let's just be honest this morning, not just in this story, but in our lives. There are times for the believer that we've been delivered, we've been saved, we've been redeemed, and all of a sudden something comes and it overwhelms us and it devastates us, and, and the wheels come off, and it's almost worse because we have been delivered. We are children of the King. It's like, God, what are you doing? And we might never verbalize this, but in our hearts and minds, we would say, God, this is not right. Why are you unkind? Why are you aloof? Why are you unconcerned? Because if I were God, and I had this widow woman that I just delivered, and I sustained her, there's no way I would crush her as if I'm wiser and more loving and kind than the God of heaven. Why does he bless and then baffle? And why does he perplex his people? Well, the good news is, this isn't the end of the story. Let me draw your attention now to verse number 22 of our text. And I think it will at least give us an answer to the why. She comes before Elijah, she accuses him. Elijah goes before the child, he prays to God. He stretches himself out over this child, actually acting like the life I have, I want this child to have. Verse 22, and the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came unto him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son liveth. Now watch her words. And the woman said to Elijah, Now, by this I know. Now I know. This is not just theory now. Now, because of this agonizing experience, she has real insight to the God of heaven. She now knows. And in the end, he is once again faithful. And this shaking of her life is needful. Because she's shaken to the core. And after this, she comes after God has worked his way through this situation and says, Now I know you are the man of God, and God's word is true. Her faith has been strengthened. And I submit to you this morning, my dear brother and sister in Christ, there are times in our lives where we need a shaking. Years ago, when the church was younger, and actually more recently when, when Kim's grandmother was ill, we take a number of trips from here to Cleveland. I mean, numbers of trips. And I know you've experienced this. If you've ever driven much on the same path or course, I would, I would get in the car, I'd go to the bridge, get onto 75, hit 280, hit 90, and then go to my exit. And there were numbers of times when as I was driving, I would look up and say, oh my goodness, this is my exit, and I have no idea how I got here. Right? You've been there? And it's like, I've been on cruise control, and it scares me that I don't know what I was doing for three hours. I have no idea. None. I was driving. Why? I knew the path. I knew the roads. I didn't have to think anymore. I was just cruising along. There are times in our Christian life, and I would submit to you this morning, 
that for many of us, if not most of us, we have been cruising. Just cruising. And God, in his kindness and his goodness and his desire to conform us to the image of Christ, will shake us up. Listen to the words of Sibs speaking about shaking. He says, nothing is so certain as that which is certain after doubts. Shaking settles and roots us. And if you've been a believer for any length of time, you know this to be true. That there are times we have doubts and struggles and we are shaken to our core. Maybe we even doubt what we're doing or the reality of our faith. But it's after that time that we are settled and we are rooted and God uses that to make us stronger than we have ever been. It doesn't have to be the death of a loved one or some tragedy. It might be. It could be financial reversal. It could be a reoccurring issue with your kids. Good news for your parents. At two years old, when you got all the problems solved, you said, hey, it's good, man. We're cruising now. I, I have to tell you something. Something new is coming down the pike. And it only lasts until about mm, 26. Maybe it's a co-worker, a neighbor. They know how to push your buttons. Maybe it's a series of unfortunate events. What is God doing? Why the shaking? Why is this happening? Because he is exposing, as Newton said, the hidden evils of our hearts. He lets the angry powers of hell assault our soul in every part. Because he hates us? Because he's against us? Because he's not for us? No. Because he loves us. He loves us enough not to leave us the way that he found us. Let me encourage you that when these times come in your life, not just to extricate yourself from them. We live in a weird world today. Our culture is strange. We don't even like today to be inconvenienced. Right? We were going, okay, we're, we're empty nesters now. Okay? So if I break down crying at any moment of the sermon, you'll know. Right? But it's different because we can just jump in the car. We can eat anywhere we want to, anytime we want to, make dinner or not. doesn't matter. And so we go to McDonald's the other day. It was midday. Let's go grab something. Get in line. And, and there's a guy, you know how it splits off there and you're supposed to, each car is supposed to move, so it keeps moving. So here's some guy. And he's sitting there with like three spaces ahead of him, and the cars are going out into the street. You know, McDonald's up here. And so I start, what's that guy doing? They're like, was he taken out alone? Is he falling asleep? And Kim said, Rick, can we go through the line just one time without you commenting about how stupid everyone in the line is? It's an inconvenience. I hate it. And we live our lives when something happens that it makes us, I'm not even talking about pain or suffering or trouble. I'm talking about an inconvenience. We don't want it. We don't want our kids to have it. Parents, let me help you. This is not a parenting class. Your kids should have hard work and struggles and consequences in their life. And if they don't, at 45 and 50, they'll still be in your home, on your sofa, eating chips and taking your life from you. Can I get a witness? Yes. 
I don't need a name, just a witness. There's something about pain and struggling. It changes us. God is not against us. He's for us. And I think like this widow woman, when it happens, it's like, God, what are you doing? I'm calling my sins before me. What do I have to do with you? Why are you trying to destroy me? And he's not. So let me just give you two thoughts on this, and then we're going to make the main point. This is not the main point, but I hope it will be helpful to you. About the shaking. Maybe you're in the midst of it right now. Maybe your world is shaking. Maybe your faith is shaking. Maybe some things have happened in your life lately that you're scratching your head thinking, God, what are you doing? Let me give you two thoughts this morning. The first is this, that the shaking can be a blessing in disguise. No, you don't believe it when it's happening. But God is moving us from theory to reality. Right? Because theory's cool. Theory's great as long as everything's okay. I love Jesus. I'm happy in Jesus. Life is good. But what happens when it's not? The shaking can be a blessing in disguise. And again, it doesn't have to be some mammoth shift in our life through tragedy. It can be something that we think, what is going on? This doesn't make sense to me. I read a story just last week about Chuck Colson, the prison ministry guy just passed away, I think, recently. But he was invited to San Quentin to preach there when they had about 2,200 inmates. And he was thrilled at the opportunity. And 300 men had signed up and registered to come and to hear Chuck Colson speak. Days before he got there, there was a cache of weapons that were found. The entire prison was on lockdown. So he shows up. There weren't 300 guys there. There was a handful of guys, and the handful were guys who were already saved, probably through that ministry. And Colson looked out. It was a handful, disappointed. He thought, ah, maybe I should just give a devotion. I can't believe this has happened. We prayed about this. We were fasting about this. We were so excited about this. But I'm just going to preach the message that God has given me. He preached a, a solid gospel message with passion, um, excitement, and then finished. Afterwards, he said to the warden, man, I'm really disappointed. I was hoping to have those 300 guys here. And the warden said, well, didn't you know? Because of the lockdown, we videotaped your entire message. And because of the lockdown, all 2,200 of the inmates are going to hear your message, and not just once, but dozens of times. And I'm sure Colson was saying, God, this does not make sense. What are you doing? This is not my plan. This is not my way. God is much wiser than that. Oh, brother and sister, if we could learn that now. When the shaking happens, he's not trying to destroy us. There's a godly woman in our church, and I know she would tell you the story, that years and years ago she asked that Jesus would be her all in all. And she said, Lord, I just want to know you. I want to love you. I want this to be real in my life. And she prayed that prayer. And after she prayed that prayer, she lost everything. Everything. You say, Pastor, I don't want to lose everything. Can I tell you something? In all honesty, you're going to lose everything. 
This is reality. Eventually, you and I will lose everything. So, you might as well lose it to the one who can keep it, which is Jesus Christ. You lost everything. And years later now, this godly woman, who is one of the most godly, sweet, prayerful ladies you would ever meet, would say to you this morning, I would not change a thing. Why? Because I know Jesus now. What happened? Well, the same thing that happened to the widow woman. The same thing that happened to Joe. I have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And I know. I know. I know. The shaking can be a blessing in disguise. God's designs regarding you and his methods of bringing these designs are infinitely wise. My brother and sister, he knows what he's doing. Even when it doesn't seem like he does. And then secondly, just a thought, not only can these be blessings, they are blessings in disguise. But believers are helped because of it. Look at Psalm chapter 40. I know you know this reference. You've heard it before, I'm sure. It will be familiar to you. David says this, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done. And thy thoughts, which are to us word, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. This is the glory of the Christian life. This is the glory of the church. Can I tell you something? The church is not about me or I. It's about us. It's a body. Pastor and I were talking the other day about prayer, and, and he made some conversation about a conversation that he had with Dan Smolders about prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And I said to him during the conversation that it's interesting, the Lord's Prayer, there is no I there. Right? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us. 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 This is a body. There are no individuals here. We are one in Christ. And the glory of the body of Christ is this, that there are people in this church who have been shaken to the core. Like David, they cried out. Like David, it felt like they were in this horrible pit, this miry clay. They were there. They experienced it. They went through it. And then they say, listen, he heard my cry. He set my feet upon a rock. He's established my goings. He put a new song in my heart. And what happens? We see it. We watch it. We know it's true. And you know what it does? It blesses us and encourages us to take the next step and not to quit. 
know, some of you, you're just like me. It's like, well, that's great. God, do it to them. I'll watch them. You're missing what this is all about. It's not about you coming through life unscathed. You're going to be unscathed. It's about growing in Him. Knowing Him. Why? Because nothing else matters. Nothing. And so let me encourage you this morning. This idea of growth we find here in 1 Kings 17. God will shake us. And it is a blessing to help to believe it. Now, let me tell you what this chapter, I believe, is about, the main point of 1 Kings 17. And don't get nervous. I'm not preaching two messages. This is, this is the end of it, okay? But in 1 Kings 17, there is an affirmation. We have seen in our pages, starting in 17, and then later in 18, when Elijah confronts the false prophets of Baal, that there's this contest going on on who is the true God, who is the living God, who should we trust? And the affirmation that Elijah is going to make and this story tells us is this. The true God, the God to be worshipped and served, is the only God who by the power of his word controls life and death. He's not Baal. Baal has no power. It's not any false god. Or the gods we make up in our mind. It is the God of heaven and his word gives life. And this is the main point of this chapter. That God's word speaks, and it's interesting, as we watch the chapter unfold, um, all the areas where God speaks life, there's an obstacle or a frustration that happens. He tells Elijah, go to the brook, which is great, life-giving. What happens? Well, at the brook, it dries up. Then he says, go see the widow. And Elijah goes, here's a woman who had a second story on her house, at one time a woman of means, by the time he gets there, she has nothing. And then he saves his family, the son is delivered, and then he dies. And the point is, in all of those situations, that God's word has power over death itself. And what's fascinating in this, I don't know if you know this, but in 1 Kings 17, this is the first account of resurrection. It never happened before this. The widow's son is the first account of someone being raised from the dead. And it's a precursor of what's to come. And, and this is the Old Testament. The Old Testament is telling us that not even death can place us beyond the grip of his hands, the sound of his voice, and the touch of his power. It's a precursor of what's coming. The ultimate resurrection of life but one who would raise again by the power of his own might, never to die again. So here's the point this morning, and we'll just close with three or four ideas. The point from 1 Kings 17 is this, that our God, through his word, brings life. I keep on hitting this thing with my knee. That's what that is. That's not, my knees aren't that bad, it's the bank. God, through his word, brings life. And we see this in our own lives. Do you understand this morning that life doesn't come from non-life? It's impossible. Life comes from life. And in Him is life eternal. We are here this morning. We are breathing. We have life from the God of heaven. He gives life 
In the beginning, right, God said, and life came from Him and Him alone. It didn't come from an explosion, didn't come from some mess, didn't come from nothing. Life comes from God. And we have it today. And we should thank God for it. It's His Word. It brings life to us. But not only that, God's Word brings life to us spiritually. Look, if you would, at Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Verse 1. And you hath he quickened, or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation, or our life in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved. This is our God. He brings us spiritual life. He says that we were dead in our sins. We were children of disobedience. We lived after our own passions, and we were children of wrath. But his word come, and it brings life. I love the quote that we used on Easter. I think it was by Leonard Ravenhill. I'll change it just a bit. It said this, Jesus did not come to make bad men and women good. He came to make dead men and women alive. There is none good. No, not one. I don't care what you give, what you do, how actively you are involved in doing the right things. Our righteousness will never save us. A matter of fact, you are trampling underfoot the blood of Christ when you say, there is something I'm going to do to merit God's favor and enter into heaven. It's a terrible thing to say. Christ came to make dead men and women alive. Now listen to me. There are some folks that you come to this church, and you come here, and you like it here. I would imagine you, most of you came here because you like it here. If you came here because you hate it, that's weird, unless you're a teenager and your parent dragged you here. Right? But I mean, I think most people come because they like it. And maybe you come and say, man, I like it there. That place is so social, and like 90 80, 70% of the people there are nice. I mean, 70%, I mean, they're so nice and so friendly, and I really enjoy that, and I'm glad for that. But let me say something to you this morning. It's not about nice people. You need to look a little deeper than that. Because it's the people who were dead in their sins, and now by the power of the Word of God and the Spirit of God, we have been brought to life. And we are redeemed people. We're not a nice people. We ought to be nice. But we are redeemed. We've been made alive again by the blood of Jesus Christ. And this morning, it's not about nice people here. We were people who were dead in our trespasses and sins. And by the power of His Word and Spirit, we now have life. And it's new life. That should be changing us. So we should be nice. We should be loving. We should be kind. The other 30% of you, you ought to get with it. Okay? He brings us life. brings us life spiritually. He brings us life experimentally. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 30. 
And for the sake of time, I won't read all of these verses. Let me just start with verse 11. For this commandment, which I command you this day, it's not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. Never mind, I'm going to read all of them. They're good. Okay. This commandment is not in heaven, but thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it down unto us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea, that thou shouldest say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. Verse number 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that thou, my seed, might live. Believer, there is life in God's word. Not only as he spoke this world into existence, not only in our salvation, but for every day. You and I need the word of God. Because it is through God's word that we have life. Listen to me. The gospel does not just save us from hell. The gospel saves us from ourselves. From the old man, the old person, the old lust, the old greed, the old covetousness, the old nonsense that consumed our lives. It's by the word. It's a lamp onto our feet. A light onto our path, our path. It gives us life. And we should read it. Listen to how strange this statement is. Maybe you've never thought of it. Could you imagine that there are a group of Christians? What does it mean to be a Christian? Christ like, Christ follower, disciple of Christ? Could you imagine a group of Christians who would never read their Bibles? That would be bizarre. I would think. A disciple of Christ? Not looking to his word? Believing that his word gives life? You know what Spurgeon said as he preached in his church one time? He said, many of you can write damnation in the dust of your Bibles that sit week after week after week. We have life. We have life in this word. And yet week after week after week, we neglect it and act as if we're okay. We're not okay. And the problem with the church is today, lots of problems, but here's one. No one opens this up. And by the way, the idea of I don't have time, can I tell you something? I just read this the other day. I thought it was a great quote. I think it was Piper who said this. The great benefit of Facebook and social media is this, that in the day of judgment, you will not be able to use the excuse, I didn't have any time. Ouch. Yes? Yeah. If this is the word of God, if this book brings life, we ought to read it, we ought to love it, we ought to meditate on it. We as Christians should know it. And then one day, the very word of God will bring life to every dead body that died in Christ. Listen to John chapter 5. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, 
and hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. The word of God in 1 Kings 17 brings life. And the word of God, Jesus Christ himself, brings life. And there is coming a day when every person in the grave will hear that voice. For the believer, we shall rise. We shall rise. And so, let me encourage you, in your shaking this morning, D.A. Carson said, there is no problem I face that a good resurrection can't fix. Right? You should tweet that. That's not mine, that's Carson. There is no problem I face that a good resurrection can't fix. Not only can I face it because of a good resurrection, I can face it because I have a good father who uses this shaking as a blessing in disguise to be a blessing to his people. Let's pray this morning.